Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm the only person on planet Earth that likes Dark Phoenix. I mean, I would say that I'm the only person on planet Earth who actually went to the theater and paid money to go see Dark Phoenix. But I dragged Tyler along with me. It's true. I mean, I'm Alex. <laughs> and I'm the only person on... Dabari, or whatever the alien planet is called, who dislikes Dark Phoenix. That's right, it's Britain. So guys, what movie are we talking about this week? We talked about Avengers Endgame yesterday, uh, last time. What, what are we following it up with? Um, I, I, I can't even tell you with like 100% certainty what the title of the movie is. I can't tell you if it's Dark Phoenix or X-Men Dark Phoenix. I had the same... When I was, made, when I was adding it to my list of movies I've seen this year... I did not know where to put it alphabetically, so I put right. it with the D's because it looked better that way. Sure. I mean, in the movie, the titles is just Dark Phoenix, but all over the marketing and I, and, and the promotional stuff, it's X-Men <clears throat> Dark Phoenix. IMDb just has Dark Phoenix. I was going to say, I believe it okay. is just Dark Phoenix, which is sort of cute. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, very well, like... I, I, I can't tell if it's them trying a different name. Yes, I can't tell if it's them trying to be like, oh, we're actually like trying to be like an actual film, Um, or if it's or if it's Disney like after buying Fox, going, do not put X Men on that. Well, I mean, I think that the movie is because I think that the previous movies were successful enough that nobody is like, and like you were saying, it's on on the marketing and everything. I feel like it's very Mm -hmm. much a thing where they were like. Oh yeah, we need to uh, to to make this sound prestigious yeah, and right interesting. It's it's a film. Um, yeah, because it's not like they don't say X Men and mutant in the movie. Yeah. You know, it's clearly they also say X-Men. no. This this they is do. an X Men movie. They do. Um, who wants to start well, with best and worst? What are, what are the scores on that on this bad? Oh this oh bad yeah, movie. that's 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 a part <laughs> of the process, isn't it? <laughs> Man, what are the scores on that bad movie? <laughs> That was a callback um, so, to an inside joke that we were doing directly before we started the podcast. <laughs> yes. Listeners, it was related to Guy Fieri. That's all you need to know. <laughs> you can spin out the rest from that. I could have sworn you were going to say, listeners, it was a good joke. You just have to take my word for it. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I think that accomplishes the same thing when I say it was about Guy Fieri. That's, that's, that's fair. So Dark Phoenix, directed by Simon Kimberg from 2019. It has a 23% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Which, if you'll recall, is lower than Batman vs. Superman <laughs> and Suicide Squad. Combined. But but higher than Fanforstic, so we've got that going sure, for us. Sure, sure. And it has a 64% audience wow. score, which is actually a lot higher than I expected. Same, yeah. Now, guys, Why? this is this is a, an epic tale. <laughs> it, is, it is the closing of a saga. Allow me to sing you the ballad of... Our lambent hero, Dark Phoenix. We open 1975. Disco is all the rage. But you know who's not staying alive? Jean Grey's parents. Because they're riding in the car. And suddenly Jean Grey doesn't want to listen to this crazy oldie... Well, I guess it's not oldie. These crazy 70s music her parents want to listen to. They all have red hair to really hammer home to the audience. These are the Greys, you know? Just your average American family... <laughs> driving along the road suddenly Jean Grey starts using her mutant abilities which she doesn't understand puberty metaphor the radio starts changing her mom gets mad then her mom gets sleepy and in a very graphic accident 
everyone dies. The car flips around. Her dad hits his head on the camera, and and there's blood. And Jean starts to wake up and sees her mother's dead corpse face just staring at her in the rearview mirror. Then she's introduced to James McAvoy. Oh yeah, that's right from Starter for Ten, and he brings her to X Charles Xavier's school for. Uh, witchcraft and mutant tree or something correct and she's hanging out flash forward it's 1992 oh here we go the berlin wall is down and seattle is on its way up thanks to a new music band new music style called grunge led by a messy group of boys called nirvana hey speaking of teen spirit what's been going on with these x-men since we last saw them well they look the same if you close your eyes no they look the same anyway and and there's it's been a bunch... ten years, but they look the exact same. And they've got to go to space. <laughs> and wait, what happens next? <laughs> Professor X gets a phone call from the president. Correct. Played by Brian Darcy James. Barack Tony... Obama. Played <laughs> by Brian Darcy James, one of my favorite theater performers, Tony nominee. He played Shrek on Broadway. He's totally amazing. Uh-oh. They've been attacked by a solar flare up in space. It looks like the scourge from Mass Effect Andromeda. So our our favorite X-Men all get in the get in their big uh Plane. And who are our favorite X-Men? It's Mystique, it's Beast, it's Nightcrawler, it's Quicksilver, and it's Storm. The only one who they never call by her human name. They go Peter and Hank and, I don't know, Coco or whatever. But they never call her uh, <laughs> Aurora. Aurora. Thank you. I, I don't at, at least they're consistent about that. We made a joke about them doing that in Days of Future Past. Right. So they go up into space. They get all the astronauts. Nightcrawler jumps around. He then Jean gets hit by the solar flare. Comes back. Some aliens show up and take Jessica Chastain's body. And also like kill a dog. And they kill a dog, which already letter grade down. <laughs> like why? Just why? Yeah. And and then, but hey, you don't need to be worried because they're having a party at the X Mansion. Woo! Everyone's having a great time. Uh, Dazzler's putting on a concert. Drinks of indeterminate alcohol consumption. I was, yeah, I was gonna say. Apparently, getting hit uh, by space debris makes you super thirsty because Jean Grey is just downing these things. Mm-hmm. She is so thirsty, and I don't just mean for Cyclops. And Cyclops goes over to Storm and says, "Hey, make ice out of these. A weird person to make you just d- make just do things. Real cool look, white guy." And then <laughs> Dazzler's putting on a concert, basically performing any song you would hear on the Disney Channel in 2004. And this is the only time you'll see Dazzler in this movie, even though she's played by Halston Sage, a recognizable actress who because Simon Kimberg read the comics. <laughs> He's a fan. And then He's a fan. Do you rest, remember the rest Dazzler? Is sort of a milky haze. That's yeah, um, yeah. So I guess my best thing is probably like <laughs> James McAvoy, and my worst thing is probably that Jessica Chastain has nothing to do. Tyler, what about you? <laughs> There's an alternate universe somewhere. It's exactly the same in ours as ours, but the character Jean Grey is named Jean Red, and that's. <laughs> But she has gray hair. <laughs> she has gray hair. Yeah, she's a very old woman. Whew. I'm going to recover okay. a second here. Uh, <clears throat> do you want Alex to go while you... Yeah, Alex, Alex you, you, you pick it up. Okay. I'm still um, <laughs> this movie's not good, but I enjoy it. 
It had. I, I'm just gonna go ahead and get out, get that out of the way because we're probably gonna just spend the majority of this just <clears throat> smack talking this movie. Oh hey, uh, sorry. Before, real quick, what is the time yeah. limit on this episode? Do we want to go? Want to say hour yeah. and a half? Want to say hour and a half again? Let's let's try and stick with hour and a half. Sounds, sounds great. Good. Go ahead. Um, obviously everyone knows if we've already accomplished our mission or not when they start listening to this. Um, well, we don't. Because I, I, time is relative. Hmm? Yeah, there you go. Flat circle. And um, I like the movie quite a bit. I enjoy it quite a bit. It's terrible. Uh, <laughs> I well, I like it a whole lot better than X Men: The Last Stand. I do agree with that. Um, so Simon Kimberg, I guess you accomplished that that goal. <laughs> I guess because Britain, I don't know if you knew this. Simon Kimberg is one of the co writers on X Men: The Last Stand. Okay, and I, I knew he's been, been writing for the series a lot. Yes, yeah, he's been. Uh, basically, after First Class, he's the main writer okay. for these movies. His his high water mark was Days of Future Past, if I remember correctly. That he was uh, which co-writer. it's questionable how much of it is him and how much yes. of it was Matthew Vaughn's original ideas. Yes. And then uh, <laughs> he was involved in Fan Four Stick, if I'm not mistaken. He helped to reshoot it when okay. it was a complete okay. disaster at the end. So I don't put that on him. Sure, he he's mainly a producer. Noted, That's, however, that seems to be his strength. D- do note, dear listener. Uh, it was still a complete disaster. <laughs> That's true. So there That's is very that. true. He There's wasn't that. able to salvage it. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed the movie. There's quite a few elements that I think are really good in the movie. Um, I guess my best thing is just going to be how the movie looks. I love visually. I, I don't know how much of it is the camera work versus color grading and all this kind of stuff that we, you know, we we kind of usually throw in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just funny how I was kind of complaining about that briefly with Avengers Endgame and versus this I I like I really like how this movie looks and apparently it's the cinematographer from Avatar which is kind of interesting because that movie's pretty much like 100% CG Um, he was able to make the transition I don't know what else he's done Um, there is a lot of CG in this movie you know there is, and and some of that is is mixed some of it is really bad but I think some of it's really good actually I have to say a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, VFX actually was pretty happy yeah. with. Like I thought, I, I think the space great. sequence looks really good. It does, it mm-hmm. does. Um, and the train sequence, considering they sh- reshot the third act, I think it, it like oh, you wow. can't tell, and it looks very consistent. So it looks like the, the X Mansion is never a real location. Hmm. That is always CG, and that's amazing. Like, like interiors. <laughs> yes, oh, it's always wow. CG. Interesting. Yeah. Did not know that. Because they you... got to a point. Where, where, like, with each X-Men movie, and I've talked about this before, with each X-Men movie, they shoot at a different location, mm-hmm. so there's never been consistency, and then they get to Days of Future Past, and they go, maybe we should make this, like, a, a consistent location. And then they just, like, CG it, so they don't have to constantly go to different mansions around the right. world. Um, but yeah, I really, this movie has a, a distinct visual look, and I really appreciate that. Um, and in terms of Simon Kimberg's overall goal to make this kind of a, a grounded, I don't want to use the term gritty, but to make it a more grounded, more real feeling character study almost, because mm-hmm. um, that seems to be his goal. I listened to the commentary track and he seemed to be very focused on that, um, especially as a response to Apocalypse, which we can discuss. Sure. Um, I think that's the one particular element in this mess that actually works to achieve that end goal yeah um uh real quick uh yeah uh, mauro fiore is his name and he's, he's uh, the cinematographer and he shot some pretty legit movies like 
Equalizer and the new Magnificent Seven. Okay. Um, but uh, most notably for me, he's a cinematographer on Billboard Dad, starring the Olsen twins. <laughs> what? That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Can you give more details, please? Sure. Can you use it in a sentence? Uh... <laughs> Billboard Dad is my favorite Olsen twins movie. Um, Country of Origin? Country of Origin? <laughs> oh, I mean, the human heart. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I mean, where does the spirit come from? The real Final Frontier. Exactly. (laughs) It's the Olsen twins. I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) Woo! This picture, like, going into the far reaches of space and just these cosmic (laughs) twins are just there, like, hello. Here is your passport to Paris, or switching goals and what have you. (laughs) So what would be your worst thing, A-Town? Um completely bypassing that uh, i'm just gonna say aliens being in this movie. Whoa, i don't know man that's a pretty good movie <laughs> that, no it, it see see i just thought it was weird when it just like stopped halfway through and then james cameron's aliens just started playing for the next two and a half hours i'm like wow this is like it's really good i don't know what it's doing in this movie and then the rest of this movie played. And then you Great. look down at your hand and the remote and you realize that your body went into like a defensive mechanism to protect you. <laughs> yes, yes. When I'm watching a really bad movie, oh my, my, my subconscious just puts in aliens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I keep, I'm being a jerk. Please continue. No, no, no. It's fun. It's fun. We're having we fun. Have, we um, have fun here. Yeah we, yeah, we really do. We should call it Here Comes the Carnival. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't mean for that to be that song. I tried to do carnival music. It's fine. Um, my worst thing is just going to be that they suddenly decide to do aliens in this yeah. movie. And it, it's it's a weird contradiction with Simon Kimberg and, and this movie. Um, because he wants to make it a grounded human drama. Hmm. But at the same time, he's like, well, I guess I have to kind of be faithful to the Dark Phoenix storyline in the comics. Which, for people that don't know... The Dark Phoenix saga spans multiple years. It's like this huge epic soap opera that goes way cosmic. It's nuts. Oh, yeah. I will I won't um, be getting into much of the, the comics yes. deal with this. And the franchise right. in general. I don't think we've I don't know how much time we've spent on talking about the X Men as a comic book franchise versus what Not they're doing much. in this. I know I've complained some about like kind of the way they set up the teams and things like that. We'll we'll talk about it. I have thoughts. Yeah. Um but like this the approach to this movie is completely different than than the approach taken in the comics Mm. so i'm of the mind going well why do we have to have aliens in this Mm -hmm. like at all like just completely bypass that especially when britain you probably don't remember at the end of apocalypse gene uses the phoenix force to kill apocalypse that is how that movie ends oh i I don't remember that (laughs) So, so to just be like, oh, ten years later, eh, it's it's a separate alien entity that 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 you know yeah. invades her body, <laughs> and it's just it's it's completely contradictory. It doesn't yeah. make a whole lot of sense. You had the groundwork right there if you were trying to make it a grounded human drama right. to just completely not have the aliens in this. Well, yeah, and especially um, because if that that detracts from the conflict of one of our own is turning against us like that gene right. could be the enemy right i mean there's and a lot of very rich veins in the bones of this story yeah yes well especially when you get into the argument of how much of this is charles's fault 
and there's no way he could have called an alien cosmic entity would have would have entered Gene. Like yeah. I, that's that's like the one element that just completely throws this out of whack. Yep. Yeah. Um. So I don't buy much of the conflict that happens with the team in this one. Um. Right. I like a lot of the ideas, like you said, Britain, yeah. but it's just like overall, it just doesn't work because of that approach and. I, I don't know if it's Simon Kimberg and it's like an ego thing where he's he's constantly thinking like, all right, I've got to do it. How much of this do I keep like X-Men The Last Stand? And how much of it do I make it different? Nah. Yeah. Like it seems like a weird – like he's, he's choosing all the wrong elements to change and choosing all the wrong elements to keep the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Jessica Chastain, going, going along with your worst thing, Britain, she's very bland. The aliens are just like your – base movie shapeshifters and they were originally supposed to be scrolls but then captain marvel came out and they're like oh crap we can't do scrolls um although i i don't know why you would change it like especially with the quicksilver debacle from a few years ago just lean into it just make your movie um but they're very bland and it gets to that final act on the train as much as i really like and enjoy that train sequence having the x-men and soldiers fighting a bunch of just normies yes. wearing business casual is yeah. just it's bizarre yeah especially because so, it's not like those normies have they it's not like they look like that but they have these really interesting abilities or powers yeah. or they're played it's by not like, like they're fighting like anti-mutants it's like yeah, oh they, yeah. they also have powers and they're doing crazy no, they, stuff or like they've john, got they've like got enhanced agility yeah work. yeah they're they're faster and they're stronger and they they can get hit more yeah. it's like yeah okay it's just very like, lazy. It, they're literally just cannon fodder for fight scenes. That's all they yes. are. Yeah, well, and I feel like by having the aliens, all you really do is, oh, cool, now there are some faceless people our, our heroes can fight. Yeah. But yeah. not even that interestingly, and it's not like it paid off in a really amazing sequence at any point for me. Yeah. And also, I do mm-hmm. want to retcon, I want to change my worst thing, the fact that it's actually that Evan Peters doesn't get enough to do. But I really like Evan Peters. They they completely just get rid of Quicksilver. And like Apocalypse and Days of Future Past, I loved him in both those movies. I thought it was so good. And yeah. here, like, they don't use him at all. And they were just sort of like, eh, he doesn't uh, make this, like, an easy thing to balance uh, when right. he's involved in a fight. So, uh... And I don't know if that's... Maybe Evan Peters had, like, scheduling conflicts with other projects, and he just could only be on set for X amount of days or something. X I doubt uh, I mean, I... amount of days. I, I doubt that. I, I think it's way more likely that they just didn't know what to do with them, so they just Very wrote possible. them out. Because sure. that seems to be the general mantra yes. with the people making these movies. Mm. Now we don't need them. Uh, come up with an excuse to get him out of the plot. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. But yeah, that, that, was, that was my worst thing, sure. just the aliens being in this movie. And the weird thing is, like... If you're you're so if you're so hellbent on on bringing in elements from the comics, you could easily bring back the Hellfire Club and make ah. that the, the the villain threat. You did a thing there. Who were they? Because you, well, especially because <laughs> they set it up. Uh, um, do you remember in X Men First Class? Um, do you remember X Men uh, First Class? I do. Let's start yes, there. Okay. I do. So Kevin Bacon's like his group is the Hellfire Club. Oh. Um, Oh, I almost said Emma Stone. Emma Frost, yeah. the woman who can turn into Diamond. Yeah. And I know they said she died off screen in Days of Future Past, but you could easily bring her back and be like, she's in charge of the Hellfire Club and she's after Jean. Yeah. That's your threat. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's it. That's it. We're done. Like also we, these movies, now, I had the exact same thought. Well, and these all of these movies love just pulling in other mutants for us to look at. Yes. And they don't do that in this movie. Yes. They have And especially uh, the lame ones like a guy with dreadlocks. We, we brought back yeah. Laurent the Dreadlocks vampire. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> good true. cameo. I'm happy with that. Yeah, we get him. I was get so frustrated. For a shot. Yes. I, 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 I got to go on this little rant here. Tyler, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll get to your best and worst <laughs> thing. Why did they not bring back Toad instead yeah. of Dreadlock guy or even Jubilee you set up you set up in yeah. Days of Future Past that you have a younger version of Toad this guy he mainly just fights Storm yeah you could have like a full circle thing cause Storm takes True. out Toad in the first X-Men movie you could do something with that and instead they go no we got guy, guy who, well, who fights uh, with his dreads they didn't, they didn't want to remind you that Storm is like way stronger than just your average person who yeah. can you know I don't know stick a tongue out or whip a whip a bit of hair at you um so they didn't want you to, to remind you of that because then it would be very obvious that storm could have just sort of zapped this this dude who's fighting her with his hair with lightning and he'd be more or less dead at least taken out and then you wouldn't have to spend 30 seconds of her struggling with this man who is far below her power level yeah <laughs> like just just a thought yeah considering that she's one of the most powerful characters like in the that, that is it's the crazy it, that that bothered me so much in this is that they're fighting like on a bus right and she uh is struggling for reasons she's not she's like her only power is to shoot a very thin beam of lightning out of her hand yeah and she keeps missing and that's all they let her do tyler you forgot she occasionally makes things cold well that's what i was gonna say then then and she also forgets to turn off the rain during a funeral sure <laughs> sure um then she uh, she hits him with some like icicle she creates and that's a neat little bit uh, and and someone helps her do something I forget someone steps in and helps her take him out or whatever and so I was like okay okay so she, she they handle that we're we're done with that agonizing fight okay and then he like <laughs> twenty seconds later she's fighting him again yeah <laughs> and it's just back to it and I'm like what are you Who? yeah yeah it's weird because they keep intercutting during during the street fight between like every, like Magneto goes in and then he comes out and then yeah. Charles goes in and then he comes out and like the fight between Cyclops and Beast lasts like half an hour <laughs> like yes one of them would take out the other pretty quickly I'd imagine well in this movie also posits that Beast's main mutant ability is jumping mm-hmm. you remember in first class when like his whole thing was like oh my feet look like hands and I can somehow run like super fast mm-hmm yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my best thing about this movie is I, I think there are some neat action touches. Sure. Um, I think there's a lot of... I think in terms of the stuff that made me be like, okay, I don't hate this, uh, there's a lot of cool little bits. Um, stuff that is su- stuck directly in the middle of, of, of like context that I think is really bad. Um, but like everything with Magneto, yeah, I feel like a lot of the stuff he does is really, really cool, really interesting. I love the him fighting with Gene over the helicopter, mm-hmm. uh, as, as which Gene's is funny like, because apparently a lot of people like found that unintentionally funny. Well, I will say between the two performers, Michael Fassbender is giving it yes. everything he has. And Sophie <laughs> Turner is like, why am I here? How Sophie I- Turner, who and look, I like Sophie Turner a lot. Yeah. I am not criticizing her. She is doing the most the limpest scarlet witch impression in this <laughs> it's just a lot of like left hand well i feel bad for her because my right hand a little bit 
Whereas Michael Fassbender, like, his neck is, like, he looks yes. like a Dilophosaurus, and, like, <laughs> his entire face is, like, he's, like, trying to force his skull through his face. <laughs> and he's, like... To be fair, he's, no, no, it's I'm not supposed to be easy for Gene. Yeah, no, I'm not like, making that's the yeah, point. that's true. But he's just, and he's, like, his whole body is, like, braced, and he's just pulsing and yeah. screaming. So, I, yeah, it's, it's a very... And I understand that it... But it's still... It, it it shot almost like he's over like in terms of acting he's overacting and she's yeah. underacting even though what it actually is is he he was not anticipating that she her power level is over nine thousand and he's having right. to yeah. resist it. I also uh, there's a there's a guy who's like climbing on right as they like shuck the helicopter <laughs> yeah. away and I really wanted there to just be like the helicopter flies away and this guy just goes flying off. <laughs> well, I was, that would have made me so happy. Yeah, it was just good. like ah! um, do it Wilhelm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, <laughs> but, well, I like him pulling the train the out of the ground. Yeah, yeah, and the um, I don't know why he does that. Yeah, why not? Um, again, context. We're not worrying yeah. about that right now. I'm I'm trying to give praise to this movie, and this is about the only bit I will be doing. So I'm just saying it was cool. <laughs> I just didn't get exactly. why he was doing. No, that's what I'm saying is I'm going to point out very specifically isolate the specific bits that I think are interesting. Um, the the part where he crushes the train, the train car. Uh, as all the guys are yes. running towards him and it just like cr- crumples in on them. That I remember neat. watching that in the theater and feeling like, is this like a we stand up and applaud moment? Because it, fe- <laughs> it shot that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm like, in a much better movie, that would be so cathartic. Sure, of just like, sure. oh, these terrible pricks that have been bothering us for the whole movie. Magneto literally just crushes them all. Uh, there's, there's also him pulling all the guns out and shooting yeah. at Jessica Chastain. It's pretty cool. Yes. Um... Which is a nice callback call to some of the other X Men movies. I'm not sure if this is supposed if this is not supposed to be, but if this is uh, strangely uh, ripping off Justice League, which is not a movie I would normally give praise to for having an interesting original idea. Um, oh my god! But there's the bit where uh, Quicksilver is running up to um, mm. Phoenix, Dark yeah. Phoenix, and she swipes her hand, kind of like slow motion, and it swipes the debris out from under him, and, he, and that's how he goes like flying forward and crumpling, which doesn't. I don't know that I completely understand the logic behind that in terms of that, like, taking him out of the movie. Yeah. I feel like he would be able to recover. Because, yeah, if he can run at that speed and not... He'd be able to catch himself while while he's falling. Like, he, you'd think he'd be able to regain his footing yes. pretty fast. Again, context. We're not... Just just throw that out. It is a neat bit where she swipes and, yeah. then, and then he goes... And it's like a... It's a I, I do like how brutal it is. Yes. Like, when they're carrying him on the stretcher mm. out of the jet afterwards and his face is just, like, mm-hmm. matted with blood. Um, I like how brutal this movie is. But <laughs> it, it does very much evoke for me the, uh, the Superman catching Flash... Uh, evil Superman catching Flash after he's revived right. Justice League. I don't know. I don't know if that was... I mean, not, like, ripped off, but, like, if, if that was sort of subconsciously taken from that. It kind of kind of mm-hmm. felt a little bit like that. Um, but it was a neat thing. Um, it's okay. Uh, Justice League stole the found footage stuff at, at the beginning of its movie from Spider-Man Homecoming. It's only right that, that another movie sure. steals ideas from, from it. Sure. You know? It's a cycle. What will, what it's, ideas will be stolen? It's the from snake Dark eating the tail. That's the real. That's the real question: is what other superhero franchise is there to steal things from Dark Phoenix? Uh, we'll have to see. Pitch Perfect Four: Aliens this time. <laughs> they come to. It's, they have to compete in an intergalactic acapella. Galaxy but it, it's I, it's literally <laughs> just every single alien is Jessica Chastain with with fat hair, and one's the Fifth Element one. Sure. 
There you go. Yeah. I just had this image of the commentators in Pitch Perfect, like making a snide comment about aliens and then getting their heads blown off. With <laughs> <laughs> I would actually really like that. And Anna Kendrick doing a lot of like, dude, tentacles, gross. What? Uh, I don't know. Leave me alone. You're hot. Oh, I didn't say that. See, yeah, my favorite thing was uh, those like very specific isolated bits. Yeah. No, I, I, but I agree. There are some individual fight moments that are very good largely Michael Vassar there's a good little bit to um, not really a fight moment but also the, the like one thing Quicksilver does where he uh, he wraps up um, Nightcrawler like they use him to like get Nightcrawler prepared to like yes. teleport to the thing also I Nightcrawler goes crazy and okay yeah that's okay. that's terrible but yeah. like again it's shot well it's cool I agree so but he that moment was again if that's, if that's a stand up and applaud moment he didn't... It's like the soldier died, and he was like, don't die, don't die. Was that his best friend or something? Like, Nightcrawler had... They do set it up. Night, There's a little bit of setup. The The very... It's laughable. It's, it's laughable. The beginning of the scene, when they're all chained up, that guard walks by and oh, says, okay, my, my son was a, was a fan of yours. Yeah. And it's like, that... You, you know, no, you're right. The, That's not how a setup and payoff is done, Simon. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, you're right. The, the, the house set up on popsicle sticks does stand. There is a <laughs> so this is this is kind of a weird, not completely out of context side cut. Um, spoilers for the. Have you played the Spider-Man DLC, Britain? Um, oh, Spider-Man PS4. I have DLC. not. It's not. I mean, it's not really spoiler. I guess. I guess I, I, you also have not played it, Alex. Can I can I spoil a very minor bit at the beginning of, of one of the? Spider-Man oh, I don't ideas? care. I know, I know um, how the campaign actually ends. So well, this is, this is very small detail, um, but there's a there's a bit in there where, and uh, I think it's the second one actually, where um, this uh, this soldier is there and he asks Spider Man like, "Hey, can I get a, an autograph or something?" And Spider Man's like, "Oh, sure." And there's a little bit where like the police captain's like, "Oh, you know, normally I wouldn't allow it, but all right, fine." And he's like, "Oh, it's my son's birthday. You know, I just want to, you know, he's a huge fan." And the, the soldier is wearing a Spider-Man watch. And then at the end of that the first little mission, the soldier gets killed. And you and it zooms in on, like, the cracked Spider-Man. It's like a little, like, mm. almost looks childish Spider-Man watch. And, like, that's a video game. Yeah. <laughs> and it works. Yeah. Like, that's an actual, like, emotional moment. Just, like, I, I guess what it is is the just giving it specifics. Yeah. And not just yeah. doing the most cliche, like, off the top, flatline, just like... Yeah, my son. My son likes you. We're best friends now. Yeah, like I, I honestly wouldn't have been surprised if Nightcrawler had been like, "No, Dad, <laughs> <laughs> that's my dad." And then he again, like him going crazy and killing a bunch of people is is cool, but it, it, it's so unearned mm-hmm. emotional. Oh yeah, because I have no idea what this Nightcrawler is actually like. Well, it, he, this he's is mostly just the Uber for the gang in this, correct, yeah. in this movie. I also but, space but, uber. Yeah, so, he's just kind of comic relief sometimes. I don't want to be this guy who's poking all these holes. Oh, don't worry, we all are tonight. But he needs more than a helmet to go into space. Oh, we want to break down the space logic because oh, he we goes can do into that. Spa- and his hands are fine. The vacuum of space is not affected. He still has dexterity. They just leave Jean out there, Jean and is she's fine. fine. Yeah, and she does like. No protection for her. Like when astronauts go to the 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 you know the big open the big mm-hmm, one mm-hmm. you know the big vault the second to final <laughs> frontier exactly the big firmament when he the goes up when they go up there they have gloves and boots they got a whole thing 
Ryan Gosling didn't just like curious George's way into the into space. <laughs> like the best part is when Nightcrawler goes out and gets Jean after the explosion yeah. and the the Phoenix Force has gone into her. And there, there's just a, an extended, like, 10-second shot of Nightcrawler just holding on to Jean. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, no, 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 you grab her and you bring her back. You don't <laughs> You're just in space. float there. You're in space. And once she got the, the alien force into her, I was like, okay, if this is how she breathes it, that's fine. I, I can extend superhero sure. logic to that. Sure. You get some alien powers, you get really veiny, and then you can breathe in space. But the Nightcrawler, the thing that just kept bugging me was, like, his hands shouldn't be... He shouldn't be mobile in space. Without, well, then also, can Storm even use her powers in space? Yeah. Because, because they have her freeze yeah. the shuttle. Yeah. Here's and I'm the like, thing. shouldn't there's the shuttle no already be freezing? I don't know what's happening. Yeah, there's no air. Like, there's no water. There's nothing. In, in the movie's defense, I would like to throw this out. I do appreciate that in most of the action scenes, they try to find ways for the X-Men to actually work together as a team. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they do try to use everyone when they can. Right. Um, that's that's one real problem I've had with with a lot of the past X Men movies, where we don't just have the team going on missions and being a team. Yes. It's always like, oh, we're the X Men are falling apart, or we've got to bring the X Men together. That's like every yeah. single movie. And this yeah. is so. It's yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say th- this is a mission the X Men are going on, and they're doing an X Men thing. And I yeah. was like, yeah. That is about as much praise as I can give it, but you <laughs> yeah. know what? It does. I mean, that's fair. Also, in a I, like like I I do like th- that um, the street fight in New York. I really like. There's a, there's a lot of teamwork that goes on there. Like Nightcrawler's pretty much sure. just going all over the place trying to help everybody, and, and Cyclops is trying to give him direction. I I like some of that stuff. Sure. Um, a lot of what happens in this movie is more of what I would want in just a normal X Men movie. Right. Um, in a, in another uh, small bit that I just think would be hilarious and would make it more entertaining than what we actually got when they when they go to ask a Cyclops they're like hey hey we need you to uh, blast the the space shuttle rotor uh, to stop him from spinning I really wanted him to just be like okay and then just smashes the, the front shield of the or the front windshield of the ship just like <laughs> they all get sucked into space and I'm just like ah right. It would have made me I happy. do like that that weird thing that allows him to like yeah. shoot out like, of the that's, jet. That, that's very that feels specific. very out of the '90s cartoon. Yeah, um, true. I like that a lot. Yeah. Once again, it has. It should not be in this movie if it's trying to be a grounded human drama. Right. Just like they shouldn't be going into space if this is a grounded human drama. But right. So I believe I have take said, what I can get. Okay. I, I, have, I have not said my worst thing yet. You have not. No, um, you have not. Let <laughs> it rip. So. <clears throat> I think my I could go a lot of different ways with this. I think my biggest thing is just how sort of you know pe- people talk about like uh, Venom. That's a movie that got a lot of comparisons of like, oh, this feels like a, mer- a movie from the early two thousands, hmm. um, which I'm not disagreeing with necessarily. This very much feels the same way to me. It, it looks better than like any of the first three X movies. Um, it's it has some of those little nice action twists and charms and stuff, but ultimately it feels like, why are we still doing this? Um, <clears throat> it feels this, eerily... It it feels too much in in tone and style of storytelling to X-Men 3. Yes. And really to the first trilogy of X-Men movie. Like, it just feels so stuck there. I, I do wonder, because I had this thought walking out of the movie, what if 
the, this story and kind of the, the way they filmed this, if they just kind of transplanted that on top of X-Men 3 and we got this movie at that time instead of the film that we actually got. Right. I, I am curious how this would have been received. I think... It, you know, we, a lot of a lot of changes, of course, right. to make it as X Men Three, and, but still. And I think at that time, and everything, it, I think that would have been received better. I mean, it's a less cluttered story. It it has actual character. We we got to talk about Jean and the way they handle her quote unquote arc because I have concerns. <laughs> um, it's it's also the same arc as Captain Marvel, apparently. Sure, sure. but it Which is is something I was very confused about. Right, it is better than. Last stand in terms of both the way they handle Dark Phoenix being Dark Phoenix, um, in terms of not yeah. having a bunch of ancillary stuff that just completely clutters everything. But it is so weird. Like this movie feels like a remake of Last Stand. That feels like what they went into it. Like, what if we did, you know, the your your like the way they do lots of different horror movies, uh, or they they did kind of five to ten years ago where they would do a lot of like oh here's the remake of the original or whatever mm-hmm. and it would yeah. sometimes they were they were shot for shot but a lot of the times it was like a, oh here, we're doing like a slightly different take on it that's very much what this feels like to me is that like it, the plot beats are so similar <laughs> in terms of oh yeah obviously there's visiting a, Jean's uh, uh, childhood home yes and, and it's just this normal suburban neighborhood and there's a um, fight there that le- leads to the death of one of the X-Men and levels the house. Yes, and the train sequence. Obviously, there there is a fight. It's this is much more extended. This is the finale, but there is a fight on a train in Last Stand as well. That's true. Um, Jean wearing a red leather jacket in this movie is just the strangest yes. thing. Uh, if you are trying to avoid direct comparisons to that movie that you admit was not your finest hour, yeah. don't give her a red leather yeah. jacket. Which is exactly what Bomka Johnson was wearing in X-Men 3. Right. Uh, there's also the... Who was I going to say? Um, oh, the the way that she destroys people at the end. How she, like, disintegrates them. Mm. Yeah. There's just... Oh, uh, another one. I just thought of this. Um, when, when Cyclops is like, oh, that's... That that wasn't Jean. That's not the woman I love, or whatever. She's not. That's not the one I know. And Storm's like, no, that that's that's her. We got we got to take her out. Yeah. The exact same conversation happens between Storm and Wolverine in X Men Three. What no. X Man dies in Last Stand in the suburban thing? Xavier, Professor X. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, and I think <clears throat> so. I guess if I was summing it up, my biggest thing is that this movie feels so confined to its own continuity, to the franchise's own continuity, uh, when it is a franchise that has never respected its own continuity. Mm. Right. And because of that, this doesn't feel like an adaptation of Dark Phoenix the comic. This feels like an adaptation of X-Men The Last Stand. When X-Men The Last Stand already was a far cry from being an adaptation of Dark Phoenix the comic. Like, we had... So, Chris Claremont is the guy who um, wrote the original kind of run that put the X-Men on the map. They they had some popularity before then, but, like, their series had already been, like, not canceled, but turned into reprints for a while. They were just like, let's just... We'll keep printing these, but they're just going to be the same issues. Um, right. <clears throat> and so, the Chris Claremont takes over. Um, he introduces all the new X-Men, you know, kind of creates this new team that has to go save the old team, and then we get this this huge blend of all these different interesting mutants. Um, they're, they're a lot more than just, like, rich white kids. Like, that's that's where you get a lot of and that's where Storm comes from. That's mm. where I mean, that is where Wolverine comes from. Colossus, <clears throat> Colossus, um, Sunspot. 
I think comes from that. Yes. Yes. And Thunderbird. And Thunderbird, yes. Um, it was not long for the world, sadly. Uh, but you get that whole crew. And basically, uh, Chris Claremont proceeds to write. He, he creates the Hellfire Club, and so that's like a lot of the early stuff that he does. Um, and then he starts sort of the Phoenix Saga. Um, but he starts this by they them, the X-Men team basically going into space and meeting a fully-fledged alien civilization that's just insane and such a weird like 70s early 80s fever dream of like they're, they're called the Shi'ar I don't know if I'm, if I'm pronouncing that right but they're like these these bird people uh, and, and Xavier eventually in, in the comics marries their empress <laughs> and it's this whole crazy Lalandra right? Yes it's this whole crazy Who, insane everyone thought that Jessica Chastain was originally going to be playing Lalandra that probably would have been more interesting uh, it's not what happened uh, and basically they they go and they they meet this this whole civilization and there's this civilization has it's they're not mutants but they have like a a royal guard that is all very unique and the, they're these crazy alien species they're led by a gladiator who's this um, I think that's the right name I'm gonna have to check on that later um, I'm gonna I'm gonna feel bad <laughs> if I got that wrong but they they have this whole crazy uh, you know cast of characters and then as the Dark Phoenix saga occurs um, I believe it's like this is within 40 issues or so of Chris Claremont starting on this run. Um, he, he has a Dark Phoenix saga where, where basically um, Gene does go insane with power or whatever, and they end up fighting this, this crazy royal guard, and like all this, this crazy stuff happens, right? And so I think within 13 issues after that ends, and that, that is the classic Dark Phoenix saga, that's the one that like everyone says is one of the greatest comic stories of all time, uh, and I think it's probably a little dated by now. When I read it, I was kind of it was kind of overhyped for me. I think, um, but obviously, a very good classic sort of. I want to say that would have been seventies, might might have been into the eighties uh, storytelling, comic storytelling. Um. Then, within like thirteen issues or so, you get Days of Future Past, right? So you you covered Hellfire Club, Days of Future Past, and and uh, Dark Phoenix Saga. That is like the first fifty issues or so of this guy's run, and this guy yeah. went on to do. He he basically wrote the book on X Men and yeah. like the current. It's it's the stuff that the comics are still like. They're all very entrenched in this guy's history and then all the stories he put together, um, and it's not just him. Um, I I can't remember off the top of my head who the other kind of creative people involved were, but he was the main guy who was like the main creative writing force for a massive amount of time. Um, and there are so many other interesting stories that they could do with the X-Men. Um, I think, Alex, I was talking to you after we were, we were discussing this the other day. Uh, there's a whole story where uh, Jean Grey's clone um, goes crazy after Jean Grey comes back and turns, I think, makes a deal with Mephisto or, or some, some sort of evil thing and becomes a demon queen. And starts this arc called Inverno, where where they they take over like New York City, and all the heroes have to fight this giant demon army. And like that sounds pretty good. It's it's. I mean, I haven't read it, but it's uh, you know just just by description, it's like all right, I, I got to respect that. Yeah. Um. And there's the Brood, which are this this crazy, basically almost sort of xenomorph ripoff species, where it's like this this almost horror 
story whenever they show up and the, the X-Men get trapped in space and they ride in giant space whales and like Ooh. yeah it's very it's very interesting and they you know it, it's all very cool like it's there's just a lot <laughs> and there's a lot of inter- there's way more like interesting X-Men that they introduce and they they don't just introduce them for five minutes of screen time before yeah. they get killed off and something or the other uh, they they actually have like these the all these interesting characters that have all these neat stories and this series feels so trapped this movie series to to bring it back together feels so trapped by the way that the first movies that started off in the early 2000s when basically nobody was watching superhero movies and and no one everyone thought it was just kind of a silly you know like he had had blade or whatever that was uh not really like a, a family friendly you know event series or whatever so like no one really had any sort of major affection for superhero movies and that's where these movies spawned out. It was when it yeah. was like, oh, well, we got to wear leather because that's interesting. And or, We have to come up with excuses for why this is a superhero exactly. movie. Exactly. And this movie still, they, they've they got just the plain old, uh, I mean, it's better than what we had in the early 2000s, but the, their suits are just the plain old, it's the yellow X over the black I mean, basically black leather. I mean, it's. Yeah. I, I think I think the, these these suits are pretty terrible. I, I would yeah. kind of prefer them than sure. black leather. Sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's and it's it's enslaved to the original kind of cast of characters from yeah. those that original trilogy. It feels like it has to kind of wallow in all of those. I mean, we added Quicksilver somewhere along the way, and Mystique gets more to do. But it's still the and same. And Nightcrawler d- doesn't disappear in between sure, movies, sure. so that's nice, um, I guess. But it's still j- kind of the same general cast. They're not expanding anything. Um, they've introduced all sorts of neat little characters along the way, like Psylocke and um, mm-hmm. who is the the one who makes portals in Days of Future Past? Blink. Blink. Yes, uh, and uh, Warpath. But Tyler, Michael. that wouldn't work timeline wise because she's in the future. Y'all don't care. <laughs> You've never cared. I don't. I'm not talking. You never about, cared. I'm not talking about you two or the listeners. I'm talking about Fox. And yeah. I would Simon argue Kim. that I cared far too much for for too many years. I agree. <laughs> um, and it's just the most like every one of these feels so exhausting I mean at least X-Men Apocalypse they tried to, to expand that was a, a 90s storyline so they were trying to like okay let's get out of this little hole that we're digging but then they did it horribly yeah. and so we're right back to where we started well it, um, it's also strange because the big takeaway from Apocalypse and this is just based off the, the minimal amount of, of research that I did the big takeaway from like the Fox executives was apparently oh we shouldn't make it too big yeah like that was the one takeaway yeah that they had not, not not oh we've got issues with the storytelling and just the general creative team that does these movies yeah. we need it we need to try and change it up a bit i'm i'm so ready and i'm sure it'll be a while um they'll they'll let this cool off but i'm yeah. so ready to see the mcu take these on same um assuming feige is, is still in charge at that time i don't know what uh i, I don't know if if his uh heir whoever he appoints mm-hmm. to that will be as good and i i certainly cross my fingers and hope they will be um but i'm so ready to see them take on this in a more sort of organic interesting like let's let's actually build this team out and explore all these like the the x-men is a a franchise that should be able to go into guardians of the galaxy kind of territory or like thor ragnarok is a great example where, where it's you're going from asgard to uh the i mean i'm not saying that you have to make an x-men movie in space no 
But I'm saying that there's a lot more to explore, and just a, a much larger world. We they never went to the uh, is it the Savage Land? It's been a while since I've read. No, those they never went to the Savage Land. Um, the they Savage never go Land. to the su- they never go to the sewers to fight yes. the Morlocks. Yes, there, there's there's a race of of uh, are the Morlocks mutants? Is that the? It's been. A- I think they're mutants. Yes, and um, basically a race of of sort of outcasts who are living in the sewers, and uh, they you know are are basically ruled by various peoples at various times sometimes for uh evil and sometimes they you know they'll they'll work with the x-men and sometimes there are people trying to kill them the morlocks and the x-men are trying to have to help them there's all that interesting stuff there's the savage land which is a a giant patch of like prehistoric forest in the middle of uh the arctic and uh yeah there's dinosaurs and stuff it's pretty dinosaur like it's just a whole thing like there's so many interesting places um they never even used the the Super Scroll, which I believe they have exclusive rights to. Um, yes. Which I know that's also Fantastic Four related, but I'm just thinking of, like, stuff that they have. I mean, they have access to all sorts of things through the Fantastic Four that they could utilize for this. Like, there, there's so well, much they could they do. They don't anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the X-Men, are, they're a universe unto themselves, practically. There is, yes. It's such a rich... Since yes. the X Men posits just at the beginning, what if half people on Earth were mutants? Yeah, that alone is endless. You have mm-hmm. so yes. much you can do with that, socially, politically, mm-hmm. just in terms of crazy powers. And these movies have all felt so unfinished to me. Yes, and they've all felt so. We had an idea. We're not really going to follow through on it mm-hmm. that much. And they kind of will remind you, like, oh, there's other mutants, but they don't really do... Like, mm-hmm. And this movie felt so listless, I yes. think, and it just didn't seem to really care. Like, Mystique dies, and it's it just was not that big of a deal. I think part no. of that was for me being like, I know this is the last one you're doing, and I don't really care about this <laughs> character, so I don't know why this is... And, you know, it, Jennifer Lawrence clearly doesn't care either, and it's yeah. just like... I don't know. This, uh, yeah, I, like big things I, are happening in this universe, and they're in this movie. And like the scene where Xavier and uh, Beast are talking in the kitchen late at night, I thought was a both performances were very good. Nicholas Holt and Matt they're Hill. going for Oscars in that scene. Well, Holt is genuinely very impressive in that, and mm-hmm. I don't know why Xavier is, is not a prideful man. So I don't know how, why he wouldn't just go. I did make a mistake. There's a reason I made that mistake, but I did make. A well, mistake. that's an intro. At least that's like because that's a take they just sort of throw in here. Yeah. Um, it's just well, like, that's 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 the biggest problem. That's the thing with the time gap that really, it really grinds my gears. Yeah. Because they they just have these ten year stretches, and then they go, well, we can start these characters practically wherever we want them to. Yeah. So like, remember at the end of Days of Future Past, where Magneto hasn't really changed his ways and he just kind of floats away. You know, he lives to fight another day. We start Apocalypse. Oh, he's got he's got a human wife and he's got a child. Yep. They just do whatever Everything they want, and they, they say that, and they have their cake right. and eat yeah. it too with that ten year time gap. It drives me nuts. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's just the fact that that when I was watching that scene, I thought in a good movie this would be a really yes in a Logan style mm-hmm. thing. This would be such a great scene where the these two great actors just really going at it. And in order for right. you to actually like find it, because like I think it's an interesting angle to take on Xavier of like, oh, he's he's. He is prideful and like, and then you yeah. know, Magneto has the the thing where he's like, "Oh well, you know, you just make all you all you do is make speeches, and you know, yeah. it's just, it's all talk, like, and nobody cares." Yeah, I love that's, that. That's interesting, but you have to ignore all this other continuity that they're sort of expecting you to also care about. 
yeah. in order to they pick buy and this. choose, right? Because like Jean, like how she gets the Phoenix Force, that's the biggest one. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, oh, we expect you to forget that she kind of killed Apocalypse with the Phoenix Force at the end of, of the last one, but don't you forget, Hank and Magneto both loved Mystique. Yes. Yeah. Two questions. One, how does Magneto fly? Is he moving like metal in his body? I believe he is manipulating the iron in his blood. Okay, gotcha. That's how cool, that cool. has been presented, which sounds painful. And I well, because when know. he moves, he kind of like tilts his fingers up. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. okay, yeah. cool. Second, well, it's just kind of strange. I don't know if it's like if he's got like a belt, like a metal belt that he's lifting himself yeah, up yeah. with. That could be it. Could be. But like X Men Two, when he's escaping the metal um, or the plastic prison, he makes like little metal orb things that he steps on mm. I don't know nah. the second it's question weird. was the woman at his compound with the purple hair who's that and is her mutant power she has knives is that the one who gets no I guess it's a different yeah, she, no she's 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 the one who comes in and says like the military's here they want to talk to you or whatever and then she, she gets she's a psychic oh she's a psychic okay well, that, that's one thing that I think is very poorly communicated in that street battle. Yes. Her and Xavier are in a psychic battle. Oh. I thought yeah. he was just holding her back from her Well, he's nightcrawler. trying to hold her back, and I think, based on what Nightcrawler's doing, I think she's trying to control yes. Nightcrawler. No, that's what they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. It's very poorly communicated. It's, it's also very weird. It's like, oh, she can do that? So this yeah. is... Are we talking about the lady that gets... Uh, her her head gets just sort of like palmed and she gets thrown off the train? Yes. In the, yes. In the final battle? She's just kind of standing there next to a huge crack in the train and she just gets pushed well, out. It's, no, it's not pushed. That's the important thing here is that this dude just puts his hand on her head like boop oh, yeah, yeah. and then just throws her and it's like, what? <laughs> I remember when we watched that in the theater we both just kind of chuckled. It's just like, what weird. is happening? Very odd. <laughs> yeah, I... Also, Dreadlock's guy, I think he, he just gets pushed out the back of the train because yeah, he's gone. It's okay. Yeah. He's going off to uh, to Alaska to find the other vampire tribes. Yeah, for sure. They had no more money for the extras that day. <laughs> extras. Oh. No, and this is actually, you mentioned extras. In the scene where they are fighting outside the big building and the train and the street, there are a lot of people and civilians in that scene yes a really interesting take on that and a a take that a lot of movies have done the mcu would go some uh, an element of that fight scene could be getting those people to safety protecting them Kurt, get as many people out of the way as you can right the sokovia thing you know Mm -hmm. how do we how do we tangle with these bad guys and achieve our objective while also protecting these people because if we're superheroes that's what we should do right and I, I don't feel like this movie, or really any of the X-Men movies, really does enough of like integrating the world of the mutants oh, no, and no, the no. humans. Which, that's the core and, conflict in X-Men, is yes. how do people without mutant powers relate to mutants with powers. And like, this well, is... This is well, that's, that's the big problem with, especially Apocalypse, where at the end of the movie, Magneto's lifting up all this stuff and he's killing... God knows how many millions of people around the world, and like like Brian Singer and Kimberg in their commentary track, they talk about how like oh we don't actually want to show anybody dying. So if you look at the little CGI people, they run out of the way. And I'm like, don't create a situation where people are clearly dying and then have like these easy excuses. Yeah. Like that that bit where where it cuts to like Australia and the the Sydney Opera 
Yeah. Um, place that that place just like completely gets obliterated. I'm like, people are dying. And and I know that the X Men really stand more for commentary about diversity and you know what it's like to be gay or to be black or to be a, a, a not to be to be, to an be ostracized. Ostr- to be ostracized, exactly. But all the great superhero movies have the heroes be heroic to people who are not superheroes. Right. And, and the MCU does it all, all the time, but like um, uh, uh, the Dark Knight trilogy does that. The, super, the old right. Christopher E. Superman movie does that. Like that's that is a key element of how do you forge the relationship. And like Endgame doesn't deal with that as much, but also Endgame is such a different entity. But with the X-Men, also Endgame is literally about saving everyone that died well, in the last right. movie. Exactly. So. But then you've got this movie and a lot of the X Men movies where. You have the chance, but they, they always make up mutant versus mutant, and I understand that's cinematically more interesting. And I guess they they touched on these in other movies, like Iceman coming out to his parents and Striker mm. or whatever. But like, I don't know if for no other reason than just cinematically interesting fight, dedicate some of your characters to getting the the, the normies out of the yep. way, and maybe well, like Beast and all them is like, oh, I want to stop you, but I don't want to hurt these people. That that creates stakes for your choreography and for your fight, as opposed to just we can show more chaos by people getting out of the cars. I mean, I think that's such a thing, a through line of these this entire franchise is that you constantly get Magneto and Xavier talking about like Xavier being like, well, yeah. they they fear us and we have to make them not fear us, and then Magneto being like, they we are superior or whatever, and it's like none of this ever involves humans. Well, it's just have, them yelling at each other. They have this at the beginning of this movie at the yes. second very white dinner uh-huh. when. Uh, McAvoy is getting the big medal or whatever, and he says, "You know, heroes. I don't know if we're heroes." And I'm like, "I don't think you are." <laughs> Except you did save the astronauts at the beginning of this movie. That is a moment of sure. of of that. But otherwise, it, it, that that's the only real moment. He's like, "You guys used to hate us, but now you call us when you have a big problem." <laughs> they also in that scene do a really funny something you would see in a bad movie, like a bad bad movie where he, you know gets like a telepathic flash or something and he just announces to the room I'm sorry I have to go and then he just wheelchairs out yeah. not like hey excuse me make, hey president I've, I've, I've got to go it's yeah. just, and this movie is so like and I, I know this what is if the there first... was like a neat thing where he was like like he, he he's talked to everyone like through the thoughts he's, he's, he told everyone like... that he was like hey guys <laughs> I've got to go thank you so much for being here right you know, right give him a little bit of a, a little bit of dazzle yeah uh, you know make <laughs> dazzle, it a little, dazzle, a little you know? bit yeah. but otherwise it was just him like and, and it's not like everybody is ta- looking at it's not like in the middle of a speech where he goes I, I, I'm sorry I have to go he literally just goes in the middle of all this crowd of people oh, uh, something suddenly came up <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and also this movie is so it's and I understand that Kimberg is his first time directing, and I really he did something that you never see in Hollywood, where he just like straight up went, "It was my fault. I'm sorry. The movie didn't do better. That's on." Oh me. yeah, yeah. And like, hey man. In, in terms in terms of general like Hollywood people that that like you know they have massive blunders or whatever. Sure. Like he takes full responsibility. Like he's he's very much like Joel Schumacher in that way, where he's just like, "I was there. I had my eyes wide open. I knew what I was doing. I apologize." And, and but that, man, it's not like an offensive or no, like a. You know, oh, like, no, no. like he he's he clearly does want to do something with these characters. Yeah. It's just there's a lot like it feels very to me this feels a lot like how a movie would turn out if you had, you know the the way that you get with a lot of fans where they're like 
oh, you know, that I, I, they, why didn't they do this? Or, sure. you know, like, they, I, I, those idiots at wherever, Warner Brothers or, or Marvel or whatever. To be fair, I've been doing that throughout this episode. <laughs> well, sure, but I'm saying, like, the reason that they didn't do that is because making movies is hard. Yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. Like, yes. And I'm not, I mean, it, definitely in this case, I'm not, like, absolving him of blame, but I am saying that this feels like Market research showed that if you make your villain boring and have her just talk monotone the whole movie, ticket proceeds are yeah. our box office goes up 10% opening weekend. Um, I, I think that this very much feels like what would happen if, if they were a fan was like, I can do that better. And sure. then it's like, all right, you're in charge of a movie. Like you want a contest. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, and, and I guess, so like, I, I really don't want to rag too much on Kimberg because like, he did something that is way more mature than 99% of Hollywood people are. But yeah. that said, from a directorial standpoint, the movie is also just shot very uninterestingly. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all just sort of close-ups and tight, like... And I'm not saying this needs to be our, a big artistic tour de force, but, like, it's all... There's not a lot of interesting camera movements or staging of shots or framing of people. He just... It's all very, like... Camera, duh, 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 here you go. And, I, and again, yeah. like I, I disagree a bit. I'm not saying that I could do better, but what, what, what was inter- what? What would you cite as not that? Because I, I do admit there are exceptions to this, but what specifically yeah. would you cite? Well, I would say in particular, considering we don't have the best um, people controlling the script mm. in terms of of having Gene going crazy and it just kind of happens willy nilly, whatever. Yeah. Um, like, like they'll do interesting things like they'll have everything kind of go out of focus um yeah when she's kind of losing it a bit like there's that scene where it's intercutting between Professor X and Cerebro trying to talk to her and she's just kind of rolling around like writhing in pain trying to get him out sure and like it goes completely out of focus and I'm like oh I like that that's a yeah. nice touch I don't know I liked a lot of uh, like my best thing was the look of the movie so I I liked a lot of that stuff yeah well, I'm not talking so much about Cinematography, so much as just the staging of his scenes. Okay, yeah. the way like where he positioned the actors and how he sure. presented. There's them. a lot of standing around. There's yeah, fairly, of, fairly. You know, there's simple, not a yeah. lot of uh, what's what's the word? Um, not a lot of like fight geography in, sure. ter- in the That's, specifically yes, in like the yes. uh, the the subway street battle. Mm, there, yeah. it's not really clear. Like, oh, where are people? Why, where are they fighting? Who, you know, does is this right. fight gonna impact this fight? Like, it, there's so no. I, real... I feel like I should bring this up. From what I have heard, the entire final act with the the actual train fight was not shot by Simon Kimberg. It was actually oh. shot by I don't know if it was like the second unit director oh. or or the stunt coordinator, but it wasn't Kimberg who who was, like, actively shooting all that, apparently. That's interesting, because I feel like that fight is a lot more clean than yeah. the, the one on the, yes. the street. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Also, uh, at the School of Mutantry or whatever, there's a lot of... <laughs> um, and I understand you gotta show... Like... All the mutants, all the other kid mutants there, there is no sense of, like, what makes them mutants. Yes. And I know they don't always matter. They can't just, like, okay, here are all our kids. And they're all shooting stuff out of their hands or whatever. Yeah. But I remember there was a shot where they kind of panned over, and there was one kid who was super veiny, and that was it. He was the only, <laughs> like, kind of different one. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a yeah. girl who walked through a wall at the end of the movie when they're showing. Because I get, I don't know if it's a house, if it's a mansion full of bedrooms or classrooms or what like i don't know how the heck that thing's laid out the idea is that it's a mansion full of both okay because she phases out of it and it just it seemed 
like I wanted to hear one that the the ADR child from Sorcerer's Stone go, "Look, it's nearly headless Nick." <laughs> <laughs> the ghost who can climb anything or whatever it was so like <laughs> it was like this one moment of like oh, whimsy see mutants what a fanciful world yeah. Mr. Marvel and his wonderful inventions well, and, and you get a lot of that and I mean it's not always like well done or creative but you do like they they've usually done a, a decent job of that of being like oh you know you've got the, the Colossus he's carrying a big heavy thing or, sure, well, or like, you know, I feel like in the other movies and I could be creating this in my head I probably am a little bit too I feel like in the other movies you still when they would kind of do these establishing shots you would see like you know there's a kid who's got like his hands are weird or there's a girl you know making something float you see these little moments very again like Hogwarts or something where you see the kids just doing random little magic-y things they kind of color the world and make you realize like oh this is a school for mutants here it just looks like the school for kids which I think might be one of the biggest things that just they have not translated into the movies from the comics is that like the expansion always feels very sort of grim and, and dour and everyone sure. always feels except for like the end of days of future past like every other time right. it feels like oh this is a boring classroom where all the kids are there and they constantly yeah. get attacked and, and you know well also like how many of of the x-men are like actual teachers yeah right. like i don't like what does quicksilver teach or is he just there yeah th- th- running <laughs> he, <laughs> he's track and field there's a um, there's a, a a bit at when they all come back from space and Professor X is like, what a great job they did. This is how the humans will love us. No class today, and everyone cheers. <laughs> They're all That's leave, true. and the camera just pans over to Quicksilver being like, yeah, it was it was yeah. changed a little bit, but it was mostly me. And then it the scene ended, and I was like, that was not a good joke. <laughs> like yeah. that was not, like first of all, if you do that, we should overhear it. Well, should. I think a, a, a more effective way of doing that would be to like you, ha- you hear that kind of overheard in the back, like the volume's turned up a little bit more on that. Right. But it was just this like, oh, what's Quicksilver uh, up to? Oh, I was, I was. Hey, Evan, ad lib something funny because people like you because you're funny. Yep. Um, but like based on what? I don't know. Be funny. Yeah. Okay. You just. He just went into space. Gene <laughs> almost died. And action. <laughs> but um, it, you, you also just—I <laughs> thought what you were going for there was the fact that all the X Men just got back from space, and apparently the kids were in class. Yeah, who was uh, teaching the class? <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, that, it, it was all the like, take, uh, take take the rest of the day off. No more classes. I'm like, they didn't have any classes <laughs> for the past five hours. All the kids are like, we never have classes. McAvoy's like, all right, no, well, your your teachers have to go to space, so it's movie day. You're all gonna watch Osmosis Jones. <laughs> Puts on Gone with the Wind or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Ugh. And again, I, I understand that in this movie ostensibly this world has been created already we don't need to set this stage we don't need to color this world because it's been colored but again this is not a franchise that has been consistent enough and it seems to reset every movie yes. almost yes that I um, th- like oh no the, for, it's a totally different continuity now nah, Hugh Jackman's here uh, no now the whole thing but now it's all right. anyway so every X-Men movie I feel like they're starting over and so this movie is supposed to be wrapping it all up but it it's it can't because what is it gonna wrap up? What vestiges are we right. paying attention to? Yeah. And yeah. and again, like like you said, Alex, there's no reason for it to be aliens. Yeah, it's more interesting if the bad guys just Gene, and the aliens show up and aren't interesting at all. 
Yeah. Well, it's just nice if it would be the ultimate test of, well, this is kind of Charles, like his role on Earth is to help mutants that can't control their powers. So what happens when you finally come across one who cannot control her powers no matter what you do? Yeah. And that's that is like his ultimate test. Yes, and I think. That, but no, it's an alien manifestation. The, it's fine. I think that's like Gene's arc is so muddled, and it's almost <laughs> interesting. Like it's, it's it's almost interesting. Um, there's so basically the, that's like that's like saying this movie is almost decent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the movie like sets up plot points enough that you could do this without needing to worry at all about a giant alien force. Yeah. And it Correct. would be way more interesting because it's like okay, so she she has the 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 thing where she freaks out, she can't control her powers, and her um her parent or her mom gets killed. It's like okay, and then which you, I think is actually a very well done scene. Sure, I sure. I really like that opening. Um, it's it's the w- the way the car crash is shot is is it's over the top, yes, however, but it's also really cool. However, it is strange because they take the thing that makes the scene make sense and use that as a twist later which is that uh she specifically makes her mom fall asleep um mm-hmm. if i'm if i'm not mistaken at least because uh we, we watched this with another friend who pointed this out as well um but i believe in the first scene she just screams and the car crashes like her mom it looks like her mom swerves or something and then there's I there's a see- very quick shot of her falling asleep okay because there's a scene I'm later. Pretty sure about that. There's a scene later where it does show her mom falling asleep, very yeah. clearly. And I don't. I don't think that's that's a twist. I th- I'm pretty sure we see that so, in the opening. So it's just it's just poor execution. <laughs> because there's a scene I mean, later where they we've already established that. Sure. But there's a scene later where they very much focus on that, and that seems to like her remembering that. That's she's remembering it with her dad, and she very right. she that's like she's freaking out because she's like, oh god, I actually like killed her because I made her go to sleep. Yeah. I I. And then I don't know if maybe the idea is just that she forgot about that. Maybe Charles just maybe that is what it is. Maybe we're supposed to take away that Charles like blocked that off. Oh, you know that's that's totally what the takeaway is. He he blocks that off. It's not her fault. But that's all she knows is that her parents died. That, sure, but that was not my takeaway from that at all. <laughs> oh, okay, that's interesting. That that was totally what what I, because I, I took away from it. Like I I guess they were. I don't know. That's weird. Okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll I'll rescind it because I probably wasn't paying enough attention. But well, well, can, to me, can, you, can you answer? Can you answer this for me? In the comics, is the whole idea that Charles represses part of her mind is that an aspect in in the comics? Because that is something from X Men Three. Like yeah. that's where the Phoenix comes from. It's her repressed um, like personality. I don't believe so. I can we we can double check that. I want to once that. again if. If if that is the case and that's not an active part of the comic, um, then yes, it, it feeds into your conspiracy theory that you're actually you're not adapting yes. the Dark Phoenix storyline. You're just remaking X Men Three. Yeah, and I could be wrong about that. There, so I think I don't believe that is what happens in the comic. There is there are later comics that are about like retconning that so that like oh Xavier like hit away some big terrible secrets and stuff and like that's not that is a theme but i don't believe that's actually the um sort of point or the one of the plot points of the dark phoenix saga Um, okay well that's one really interesting aspect that i've kind of been waiting for them to get into 
that they really only touch on in this and X-Men 3 is, is Charles Xavier's moral ambiguity where like he's the most powerful mind on earth and he can control everyone he wants mm-hmm. um so like what would that do to a person if you had that power um you would probably make a few mistakes and and control people and make them bi- you know yep. bend them to your will when you're not supposed to or when you absolutely shouldn't um but Alex he's the best of us he's the best of us even though he seems Jean. like a jerk Wait. or is it uh Wolverine uh Magneto. I think it was Colossus. <laughs> Specifically the version from Deadpool, because he's completely different from the version in the mainline X-Men movies. Toad? And there you go. Um, um, Ray Park. Uh, but but I don't... I really don't like how they throw Charles under the bus in this movie. Um, despite me being excited that they explore his moral ambiguity, but, but kind of like what I hinted at at the beginning... Okay, that's fine if you want to be like, oh, he he did this thing to to young Jean and blocked out her memories, um, which we can get into. Like that that's an interesting argument. Like, did he have the right to do that? Was that the best option for her to block out these terrible things that happened to her? Sure. Like that's um, an interesting idea. Yeah. And then they got to throw in, oh, it was aliens. Yeah. <laughs> and that was going to be my point. It's going back to so they had they established that she killed her parents and. and- it's that was repressed. Yeah. repressed. Um, then they established that her dad didn't want her. Um, and the, yeah. and this is where her, she kind of falls apart is that her dad didn't want her. Her parents, um, or she she realizes that she did kill her parents. Then she accidentally kills Mystique. Yes. And that you've, you've pretty much established most of what you need in order to have her like go through this full sort of continuum. Um, right. But then, uh, yeah, it's, it's just kind of like, we don't know what to do and it, and actually in the comics the hellfire club is what is like influencing her influencing her here to be like oh you should use this power for evil um right and so it's so strange to then pivot and be like oh we're actually going to make aliens happen and the aliens tell her that she should be powerful and they and then it turns into like oh they're actually fighting the alien like there's no element of the finale like in in last stand that's that's probably the one thing that's more interesting in the last stand is that in the last stand um wolverine has to kill gene gray which is and that's how the um dark phoenix saga ends as well i don't remember if it's cyclops or wolverine who does that in the comics actually i haven't actually read it but i believe it's Cyclops. i believe it is cyclops um but because Cyclops is supposed to kind of be the main character yes, of all of this. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Cyclops is the most James Marsden character we've ever had in any of these stories. Um, I do like Ty Sheridan in this, though. Yeah. Eh. His one F-bomb is terrible, and I love it. That That is such a horrible use of that option, and we'll talk about that. I, I, gotta, I gotta get into that. I have a little ring. I love it. Um, <laughs> but my thing is that like, I mean, for one, that's sort of an outdated thing that they've now brought into two different movies. Is oh, the 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 love interest has to kill the 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 love, and it's it's sort of I don't know. I mean, they don't really do that in this one. Oh yeah, you're right. I don't know what I'm thinking. Um, so but I guess they turn it into a do your emotions control you or do you control your emotions and, and is it they turn it into a Captain Marvel thing and I think that's the funny biggest thing be, 
It's funny because I was confused by that in Captain Marvel of like, what's the takeaway? She's supposed to be fueled by her emotions, or is she supposed to block them out? Like that was that was something yeah, I was having a bit. We, we, yeah, we talked about that. I was having a bit of disconnect. So it's just funny that this movie just kind of shoehorns yes. that exact it, same thing exactly. in it at it has, the very end. It has absolutely nothing to do with her arc. In no, this. it's it's. There's no point where it's like, oh, her emotions are controlling or not control or like like in. Uh, inflaming her powers like right. there's nothing there's no i'm no, pretty sure it's the alien manifestation that's in your body doing yeah. that like like when she loses when she kills people that she she loves like her her, her mom or her mystique it's like okay she she became overwhelmed she freaked out she had a psychic blast and that killed somebody like that's basically yeah. what happens with her powers then the entire well, ending how much, is how much of it killing Mystique is the Phoenix versus Jean. That's what I'm saying. That's the confusing thing. Yeah, it's it's just very. They don't establish how much of this is the character and how much of this is the. They don't yeah. establish if we should be like, oh, it's it's not Jean's fault. It's and I mean it's it, obviously it's not Jean's fault in general, but right. specifically like. They're not saying, oh, it's because of her in- inherent powers or because the alien is now making her do worse things. Um, random side note, I would just like to point out that there was a, a, a temperature uh, monitor very specifically focused on Jean uh, in the party scene uh, <laughs> that, that uh, Beast and Mystique were by. Because when, when the alarm starts going off, they look over and there's a camera that has like – it hurt, she's red. She's like super red. I did notice and that like, and I was thinking like you... – Yeah. Where is did that? Just have... Is that in the tree? <laughs> is that like... Yeah, like <laughs> – did they have Nightcrawler like sneak up there and put that in place? And is it like the whole Jean? time he's playing like this intricate game where it's where he has to keep Gene in that exact same spot the whole time during the party? It's very strange. It, do they just have that there all the time? Is that you know like I have many questions. Um, you know when Dazzler shows up, anything can happen, Tyler. Sure, sure. You've read the comics, you know what's yeah, up. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but that's the thing is, I this quote unquote arc for her is so just generic in terms of like ah oh, she's she's going crazier and okay we've got a little bit of like trauma in her back okay we've we've established kind of some the setup for the big payoff at the end and the ba- the payoff at the end is actually i'm fine i'm killing the the evil uh, monotone alien lady uh and uh my emotions are are good like i do like we, the moment we just where, completely where scott's something. hand start starts to get disintegrated sure. and the idea is like oh you'll never be able to like fully control yourself but then she kind of does. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Well, that ending is weird, yeah. and I'm pretty sure it's because they reshot the third act. So a lot of that is very different Probably. from how the movie was supposed to end. Well, and just the the her big whole thing at the end is my my feelings make me strong. That's not a theme in this movie. No, that's not the point. It is, a th- and yeah. that's the funny thing is that it is if a- anything, your emotions are what led to Mystique getting killed and your mom. Well, it's and, and talking about Captain Marvel. A that is a theme in Captain Marvel. B yeah. the ending is a joke about the guy saying, "Oh, I you know you you got to control your emotions yeah, to beat yeah. me." And then she's like, "No, I don't." <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's just like nah. Yeah, it's not it's not. This is the the lesson I have learned. It's oh, you're a, you're a jerk, and now I understand. I get this makes sense to me. Yeah. Like <laughs> that is very good. Um, yeah. So just keep an eye on the clock here, Alex. I do want to know, and I'm not putting it on blast. This is not a hey, defend yourself. I'm genuinely curious. Mm-hmm. What what all of these uh, misgivings and all of these issues that we're finding with the movie? And I'm not done yet. There are two major topics that I still need to cover. <laughs> okay. Well, you can cover those first or second. My question is, what it, what is it that, that that sustains your affection for the movie? 
And, I, and again, I'm not asking you to defend your opinion. I'm not coming at you. I'm genuinely curious. No, no, no that, like, I, I think that's actually a very valid question. Yeah, like, like, because obviously we're breaking all this down. So I'm interested to hear from you. Like, what is the thing that makes you go, yeah, but I still, I still gut level like it, would come back yeah. to it, et cetera? Um, I think a lot of it is, is just the nostalgia I've tied into the X-Men sure. movies. I think that's a good chunk of it. And just like, I like these characters. I like these actors yeah. a lot in these roles. Um, yeah, like I said, that. they're doing a lot of things that I kind of like. Like I enjoy the action scenes. Yeah. I like the X-Men actually being a team. I like how it's shot. I like the music quite a bit. Like there's a lot that I really like. But then also there's that added element of, well, I have this huge nostalgia tie to the X-Men franchise. I've been through all the ups and downs, so... I feel like I've got to stick it through to the end. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. Cool. What are your final two misgivings before we get on to letter grades? Um, so what, we kind of talked about this, but, but in terms of, of Charles being right or wrong, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm okay with the end of the movie basically being like, yeah, Charles was wrong. He was 100% wrong. Mm -hmm. He admits he was wrong, and then he just leaves and goes and hangs out with Magneto. I'm not sure if I really am cool with that being the ending. And not just because, well, Days of Future Past at the end, when Wolverine travels forward in time, Charles is is back at the mansion, so we know eventually how this all shakes out anyway. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, I just don't like how the movie throws him under the bus. Well, especially with so little discussion and exploration yeah, of yeah. that. I actually really quite like that as a... Because I think that's a... Oh, I like it as an ending to the series, Charles Oh, no, no, no. Leaving. I'm not talking about an ending. I'm talking about I like that storyline in this movie. Oh, okay. Um, just because I think they've run out of things to do with him. Um, I think I think Logan was probably the last time he was interesting, and I think that he's been uninteresting much more often before that. Um, I think in these movies specifically, they don't really... Again, it's it's a lot of very lofty sort of philosophical talking. And again, this is not set up at all. This yeah. is not... You know, there's... They, they, they talk a little bit about... Um, or there is a little bit about him sort of falling off deep in basically in uh, Days of Future Past where they have to go rediscover him and be like, no, you're, you're, you're a savior. You're going to save the day. Well, that's the movie where he gets his character arc. Exactly. And also, I need to touch on this real quick. I don't buy that the days of future past Xavier who like the end of that movie is him saying to a female that he has protected for a long time. He goes, I'm not going to control you anymore. Make your own choices to then say that that Xavier then goes to find a girl who he protects. And then he like completely controls her and like forces thing out of her mind. Once it, that, that is very shaky. And I think that's like, I think, if you if I was if this movie just came out and it was just like that was the movie that was the only thing that like existed in this franchise or whatever, yeah. um, a it would probably be even weirder because we would have yeah. no context for like why they're doing any of this, um, right. but b I think I would enjoy that storyline quite a bit in terms of that being his sort of arc that he has to face the fact that like oh I'm not always making the correct decisions here, however right. it's not set up at all, sort of again that ten year time jump of just like ah. Oh, we're, it's stupid. We're dropping in the I middle. I don't know of, why they do this, that. This art, yeah. Um, it, and it's not. It's not like they fully embrace. Like we're in the nineties. Let's yes. do nineties things. Yeah, they really don't. They don't. They don't. Even, they're just like oh, a space shuttle. It was such a oh sixties. We're doing the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's gonna be real cool. 
And then in the the seventies, and then they go to like groovy nightclubs and stuff. Yes, and they actually have sixties music playing. And then in the this, and obviously that was very much a Matthew Vaughn thing. Like you could you could tell yeah. that very much was what he was going for. And then like in the seventies, it's like okay, there's still these you know like uh, Wolverine wakes up with the the lava lamp beside him, and like you know it's yeah. kind of there's a, there's a lot of fun little bits there. It's like okay, at the end of the Vietnam War, we actually go yes. to Vietnam briefly. Yes. And so yeah. it's like okay, we're, this is not quite as stylistic, but we're still living in that that world. Okay, the movies slowly suck out the fun yes. of being in whatever time period they're being. Because once you get to apocalypse, it's just like the apocalypse nukes. is mad about eighties consumerism <laughs> and also and, nuclear weapons, and that's and nuclear yeah. weapons. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, yeah, this movie could take place in twenty nineteen, yes. and it wouldn't matter. Like there would be no difference. I don't know, um, man. Social media. More like a social disease. Oh, oh my boy. God. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I don't like how they throw Charles under the bus. And I also don't like how they throw Hank under the bus. Because yeah. I find it very interesting that he turns and he wants to go kill Gene after Mystique dies. Which they haven't done a great job with with mystique and hank as a relationship in these movies anyway but fine i'm willing to go with that because he's been obsessed with her at least we've established that um and i do really love the kitchen scene regardless i I really like just from an acting perspective it is impressive yeah um but you you get to the train scene and and charles is like all right i'm sorry i i messed up but there are aliens coming to get us and cyclops is just like yeah, and, and and Mystique wouldn't want either of you to go and kill kill Jean. And then, like like Light Switch, he's immediately like, "All right, back to being a superhero." <laughs> like, uh, come on. Yeah. Ah, that that really annoyed me. And, and just to have him like after like wanting to do this horrible thing, and he gets very close to killing Jean. At the end, he's in charge of the school. I'm like, I don't think you're that much better than Charles at this point. <laughs> Like, I don't think you deserve it. Let's put Storm in charge. Why not? Yeah. And why are you calling oh, it a school for youngsters? <laughs> That's ageist. Ugh. Don't you know Quicksilver's like in his 50s at this point? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, I guess my only other point would be I, I like the status quo at the beginning of the movie. Mm. I like the idea that the X-Men are basically superheroes, yeah. but it's... I. I Despite Jennifer Lawrence clearly just like sleepwalking through this this movie, I do like her kind of yelling at Charles and then you know getting into a little bit of a fight where he's like, "No, we're we're maintaining the peace. Right. One screw up and we it, like we'll lose everything." Yeah. Um, I really like that and, and her going, "Well, how much of this is that and how much of it is your ego?" Mm-hmm. Like we're we're trying to set that up. Yeah. Um, Which again is a cool idea that they don't explore. Well, it's also. It shouldn't be that Gene does a couple of things and then immediately everything is ruined. That is such a a light switch, almost like a Sam Raimi Spider-Man type thing where it's like, the beginning of the second movie, everybody hates Spider-Man, and then the beginning of the third movie, oh, never mind, they all love him. Right. But it's even worse because it happens within one movie. Yeah, yeah. Like that bit where he tries to call the president and the president doesn't answer him, I'm like, this is embarrassing. (laughs) Um... But yeah, if it was more of a gradual turn, kind of like as as things slowly start to devolve, like the president, maybe he's just like, "All right, uh, Charles, I'm with you for now, but you you have to stop this." And then, like, like if it gets worse, I'm I'm fine with that. 
But then we get to the end and we don't deal with the consequences at all. Yeah. Like going into that street fight in New York, Charles goes, "You you do realize what the public will make of this if if they just see mutants publicly fighting like in front of of this building like in this street." And then we just don't deal with the consequences of that at all yeah. other than the military shows up and captures them. Yep. Eh. Like, what, is, what does the public make of all this at the end of the movie? We just don't know. I do, I do find it quite great that uh, the president calls at the beginning and he's like, we need the X-Men. And then they're like, all right, we got the X-Men. And he's like, oh, good job. And then uh, the president's on the line. He's saying, good job. And then, like, halfway through the movie, he's like, Xavier, you're canceled. The X-Men are terrible. Right. I hate all of you. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I would understand it if it was, like, like a Nickelodeon cartoon. <laughs> but it's not. It's supposed to be a grounded, Aren't real sure? human drama. Um, so when things... I, it's funny because I, I kind of think this movie is the inverse of the 2003 Daredevil movie. Mm-hmm. So so follow me here. Okay. So Daredevil, the 2003 movie, the theatrical cut comes out. There's some fun character moments. There's there's some things where, where like, John Favreau's fun, uh, Colin Farrell's fun. So we got, like, these little... Uh, witticisms and, and funny banter like we we know who these characters are at least but the plot is completely stripped out of that movie so much so that just scenes will happen and they have no like they make no sense but then they release the 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 or the director's cut which adds like half an hour of footage back into the movie and you go oh they literally put the plot of the movie back into the movie right and it, it like we can argue about how good that movie is or not, but at least now it it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is the exact opposite, where I almost feel like there's half an hour missing of just, like, small character beats and character building moments. Sure. And all we're left with is, is like, the Cliff Notes version, yeah. like, just yeah. giving a base summary of what is supposed to happen in this movie. So I feel like a lot of that stuff, I don't know how much is cut out of this movie. I know the third act was completely reshot because a lot of it was deemed to be too much like Captain Marvel. That's why the scrolls are not actually scrolls, um, even though they're shape-shifting green aliens. Um, apparently, a lot of it was supposed to take place in Washington, D.C., which is where X-Men The Last Stand was originally supposed yeah. to take place hmm. as well. So that's, that's strange. Um, but apparently, Phoenix just kind of goes up and like destroys alien ships at the end, a la Captain Marvel. Sure. Um, which is just strange. Right. Um, I, I don't know. It's and it's it's a lot. To your point, I don't know how much uh, sort of character moments they would have actually shot. Because I, I mean, there it is going back to how much of it is first time director who is just like, oh, oh, geez, this, this is a massive production. I've got to yeah. like get all the the pieces together. Let me just get a script that yes. goes from A to B to yes, C. Right. It's just like I got to oh geez, we got to shoot all this. Oh no, cuz and he so he's just been a writer, right? Like yeah. at this point. He's been a writer and a producer. Okay. And so like that's that's a big jump. Yeah. And a director of the third act of Fan Force <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that makes it a bigger jump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. That 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 takes you back several steps. One random with that on, two, on okay. your, two, your uh, resume. Yes, two random things I wanted to point out. One, uh, Xavier getting dragged up the stairs by Phoenix. Where did that come mm. from? That was horrifying. <laughs> it's another moment that some people find unintentionally funny. Sure, I actually think it kind of works. Oh no, I think I think it works in the sense that it's like repulsive. 
I think um, the the thing that they shouldn't do is to just show like wide shots of him just walking up yes. the stairs. I think that's where it looks kind of goofy. Sure. But like the bits where where like the camera is just following his feet yes. as they're trying to form around the yeah. stairs. And it's just it's like, actually, why did we? Creepy. Why did we go there? Like what? Yeah. What was the point? Who who asked for that? Right. And then you get you get to the end of that, and and he's like, "Look into my mind, Gene." And like the realization is like, "Oh, Professor X." cared for you the whole time yeah i thought you knew that it's very odd um never mind the other thing is is cyclops's f-bomb um (laughs) i loved it so the thing is that like when you the reason that that is a thing that has become a a a comedy beat in so many pg-13 movies is because that is like okay I gotta, or we we have this option. Um, we're gonna use that for something really funny because it's gonna be super tonally weird if we use it for anything else. So, because like the re- it, it's the only time we're gonna say it in the movie. So like we gotta we gotta use it for like oh Wolverine's there for yeah. for half a scene and um is that first class? Yes. Yeah. Um. Or um. What are some other? I know there's there's other examples of this. The X the, there's another one in the X Men franchise, isn't there? Somewhere. I think it's days of future past where they're like, we gotta go to the dinosaurs. I wish. Man. Well, in days of future past, that's when Xavier kind of throws that line back at Wolverine. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. And so there you go. So that's another, like, fun little thing. And so, like, fun. Not really in the context of that scene. But, (laughs) again, it's, it's, they're using it for bits. Yeah. Um, and there are other movies that I cannot think of any off the top of my head. Uh, any other, just any other movies that use it. Um, but it, it it has become a thing that it's like, oh, we can use this, so we're gonna we can use it once, and we're gonna make it real have a fun little punch. Yeah. Um, it's probably also easier to get by the censors that way when it's yes, a joke. Yes, exactly. This is like the first time anybody has like used language in the entire movie. I yeah. feel like. Yeah, probably. Um. And so it feels almost childish. Yeah. <laughs> or it's very much just like, oh, he's he's saying this for real. He's, this is an emotional Scott's expression. putting on his big boy pants. Yeah. He's trying to be a man. Yes. It's very just like, oh, that doesn't feel right with the rest of the movie at all. Um, and that was, I think, right. the moment that really lost me in the theater. Uh, <laughs> because that happens. Which, which is great because I was just like, yeah. I hate that entire next fight. We get exposition about the aliens. It, I think it's all just a mess from there. Um, well, the best part is, like, Charles and, and Magneto, they're having their conversation. Scott interjects with the F-bomb. Yes. Magneto doesn't even react. Like, there's not a reaction <laughs> shot to the line. It, so it, you could literally cut it from the movie and you would be missing nothing. Exactly. Except for a wonderful moment that I like. Sure. It's terrible, and I like it. I think we're done. Yeah. Uh, I, I j- just one final note. I think it's amazing that Hans Zimmer's score is this good, and and I'm not mad that the X Men theme is missing. Sure. It did not really leave much of an impression on me. I don't remember the music. Um. Well, a lot of it is supposed to be like atmospheric sure. background, yeah. kind of pure Hans Zimmer. Right. right. Um. I liked it. Which is saying something coming from me no, sure. judging an X-Men sto- score. What's your, um, what's your letter grade? Um, D. 
Yeah, D minus for Britain. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll go ahead and write that down for you. Um, I'm going to go D plus. Ooh. We got the full spectrum here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 do, I don't hate the movie. Let me see. I, I think that that's a lower grade than what I gave Apocalypse. The D spectrum coming this fall to freeform. <laughs> Yeah, X Men Apocalypse. Three guys navigating high school in Pasadena. (laughs) What are they gonna do? Tyler's grumpy. No, Alex is grumpy. (laughs) No, we're switching up. Tyler's grumpy. The producers were like, "We think it works better this way." Alex has an almost (laughs) medicated equanimity, and Britain, he's just a big goofball. Guys, I think we can make a ton of money selling cotton candy. I hate that. I'm neutral. Get ready. And then old Principal Fassbender is also there. <laughs> and he just... And, and Fassbender just keeps saying whose blood is that over and over again. That's his only line of dialogue. The, the thing I'm just imagining is you've got this... this it's it's like a Hulu, a Hulu uh, original. Yeah. And it's like this high school drama... It's like you know, so almost almost like a, a Disney Channel knockoff. Yeah. And and Michael Fassbender is the principal, and he gets like one scene every maybe every episode or so, mm. and he just like goes all in. Yeah. Like full method acting. Like he's just giving the performance of yeah. it. Like he's like <gasps> he gains so much. He, he is literally Mr. Belding from Saved by the Bell. He gains so much weight for it. <laughs> he intentionally like, loses his hair just to get the bald spot and everything. And it is so. And then we do our crossover episode with Trinity, definitely. Yeah. There's a, oh, bringing it back. Yeah, there's a bringing it there's back. a kid who gets called the principal office, principal's office. He's like, man, this is such a drag. You got me for you know. It's <laughs> everyone smokes weed these days, and, and Fassbender's like, son, you will never smoke weed. Do you have any idea what that is doing to your brain? You look at me Who when I talk to you. <laughs> He's like, whatever, man. It's like Bruce McGill in that scene in The Insider. Wipe that smirk off your face. <laughs> the D, the gave... D spectrum. Oh man, a D again. I hate getting a D. I don't mind getting a D. <laughs> Better than enough. <laughs> so I, I gave X Men Apocalypse a C minus. There um, you go. Yeah. So so I, I guess I am saying this is worse than X Men Apocalypse, but not by much. I am. Um, what did I give Apocalypse? Yeah, same. It's probably something very similar. Uh, Scroll back here. Let me see. So Tyler gave it a D plus. Okay. And then Britton, you gave it a C plus. Oh, so you were actually <laughs> the most positive. Yep. Man, I was in a good mood that day. <laughs> On this episode of the D spectrum, Britton <laughs> finds out he's in the C spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, we don't want to hang out with you anymore. You C-lister. Guys, no, I'm a total D-lister, I promise. Listen, son, I understand that those kids are bullying you. I'm going to make this okay. And then Fassbender beats up a child. Thanks, Principal Fassbender. Wow. I love that you're actually yourself. Playing yourself in a movie, in a TV show. You're so cool. Do you like the bold type? Rephrase. Do you know what the bold type is? Check out the D-spectrum. Please tell me that... A principal fastbender is just wearing the Magneto helmet and he never <laughs> takes it off. That's how you know he's getting serious. There you go. Sit down. 
<laughs> I'd be okay with that. By the way, a uh, little little quick uh, programming note here. It's not a programming note. I don't know why I said it that way. Uh, I, I would like to point out I was wrong. Magneto does not fly using the iron in his blood. He creates powerful magnetic fields between himself okay. and the Earth. That, are just that makes sense, because at some point during the episode I thought, wait a minute. It's not literal iron in our blood. Yeah, I don't know. Or else I'm well, basically that's, a transformer. That, so is that a plot point in X-Men 3? It's, it's a plot point in something where... No. X-Men 2, Mystique injects yes. the security guard with a bunch of metal. That's where I'm getting that. And then okay. uh, Magneto extracts it from the guy and kills him. Okay. okay. Interesting. Like, tough. Yeah. Um, Except I'm now, yes. I'm now imagining it's it's he's doing the Fassbender doing the same thing he's doing when he's trying to hold back the helicopter. Yeah. But the uh, the effect is just little little bits of like metal shooting out of his blood, <laughs> just like yeah! why can't I fly? <laughs> oh boy. Well, I was kind of hoping like during that sequence, Magneto's just like, why do you keep looking at me? Shoot her! <laughs> Shoot her! <laughs> Sure it's all, it is it is pretty comical because right after they throw the helicopter, she just sort of like flicks Magneto into a, a bike yeah. stand or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Well, if any of our know. listeners out there, uh, if you guys enjoy movies with James McAvoy and someone saying "Come back to me" multiple times, check out this week's recommendation: Atonement. Uh, this is a movie Ooh. by Joe Wright, adapted from the novel by Ian McEwan of the same name, which is a beautiful, beautiful book uh, that I also highly recommend. Um, I'm sure it's also a good read, too. It probably is a good read. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was good. Um, it stars James McAvoy and Kira Knightley and Saoirse Ronan, my favorite actor. Uh, this is the movie that introduced me to Saoirse Ronan. It is also, I think, maybe James McAvoy's best performance. If not, it's certainly one of them. And maybe Kira Knightley's as well. Uh, it takes place uh, just before World War II where McAvoy and Kira Knightley are in love with each other but they don't know it there is a misunderstanding which uh, sets off a chain of events that will alter everyone's lives irrevocably forever Uh, it is a really it looks extraordinary the music is fantastic Uh, it's maybe the only time in a movie a typewriter has essentially been used as a musical instrument and it is Um, really effective excuse me Tarzan (laughs) yeah you are right. <laughs> oh my! That okay? You you pulled that out of the hat. Well, that was so just quickly. like it, true, it, 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 it. Yeah, hurt okay. me my soul a little bit. Compa- that you were companion, disrespecting companion piece Turk of Tarzan. Companion piece of Tarzan. <laughs> Atonement. Um, it is a really beautiful movie. I absolutely adore it. Uh, I it, it could end up on my top ten movies list. I don't know, but Keira Knightley is super great in it. James McAvoy is super great. Saoirse Ronan. Stop it. She's just fantastic. You've also got Benedict Cumberbatch. You've got Juno Temple. You've got Nonzo Inosi, um, Vanessa Redgrave, Romola Garai, and Alfie Allen, I think, might be in it as well. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's not all. It's one of those plots where, like, it, it, it's not really labyrinthine, but it would be giving things away um, to tell too much of the plot. Uh, there's some really great World War II stuff. There's a very long tracking shot. Uh, where Jason McAvoy arrives in Dunkirk, that is, uh, ex- I mean, just it's maybe like it's at least five minutes long. It's like one of the longest tracking shots in any movie. Hmm. Uh, and I've heard it's actually more accurate to what Dunkirk was actually like than the Christopher Nolan movie Dunkirk. Quite possibly because it isn't about the campaign; it's about the just the the setting. He uses Dunkirk as yeah. a setting rather than let's tell the story of Dunkirk. Uh, right. But yeah, I mean, I really just can't say enough good things about it. Uh, if you've read the book, I, I will say the book and the movie aren't great bedfellows, 
the book is great for book reasons. The movie is great for movie reasons. Um, costumes and cinematography and editing, etc. So, yeah. Atonement. Check it out. Rated R. Fair enough. That has actually been on my, my relative shortlist. Is it weird to say a shortlist when your shortlist is like 50 movies long? Oh, tell me about it. Yeah, I've got the DVD <laughs> if you... I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, but i got the DVD if you ever need to borrow it. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's a... I would like to watch it. It is a cool hang. It's actually not. It's very depressing. But it is a good movie. <laughs> well, you know, it was also depressing. Uh, Dark Phoenix. Oh, boy. Well, guys, we, we've had our end game. We've seen the Dark Phoenix rise again. Where are we swinging to next? How, and where are we going? I feel like I'm at home now. Where are we going next? Oh my god. We're doing Spider-Man Far From Home. <laughs> I was waiting cuz I couldn't tell based on the look on Tyler's face. I was like, is he putting it together? Like is he waiting for me? I couldn't tell. <laughs> Spider-Man Far From Home is next, wrapping up the MCU for now. Uh I I have not seen Spider-Man. I'm very excited to see this movie. Well, I'm excited to watch it again now that I know there's a future yes. for Spider-Man in the yeah, MCU right. again. Seeing a uh, uh, old friend, Jake fa- and Halo. Fair fair warning uh for our more sensitive viewers. Mm. Um this this is uh, very I believe so we determined this is the same writers as Ant Man of the Wasp correct correct uh, or one of them one of the co writers okay. I believe uh, and uh, therefore you you may be in for a similar amounts of irrational hate from Alex <laughs> uh, on this on this movie as well um, I quite liked it we'll we'll see how it goes we'll see how Alex feels after another rewatch um, I don't hate it <laughs> better than Dark Phoenix. <laughs> Prepare for a lot of sighing as Alec adjusts his Alex adjusts his posture to to explain to us why he hates something. No, he doesn't hate it. Correct. Dark Phoenix, he says. Mm-hmm. So I've heard. Yeah. I mean, most things are better than Dark Phoenix. Let's be honest here. Man, if we didn't go over, I would now have us play a game called "What's Worse Than Dark Phoenix." Uh, X Men: The Last Stand. <laughs> yeah. Need I go on? (laughs) Well, guys. Rocky and Bullwinkle, the movie? (laughs) Oh, I saw that in the theaters. Um, The explosion of the USS Maine in uh, the late 1800s? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, guys. I'm I'm listening to a lot of uh, Dan Carlin's hardcore history. Hindenburg, (laughs) etc. Man, when I just... Okay, so a, a young woman at work, she was maybe like 10, asked me what the Hindenburg disaster was. I work at the library and children's mm-hmm, section. Mm-hmm. A library in the children's section. And I said, it's a, it was a blimp that uh, they didn't do good, and it crashed. Because I realized I don't know how to explain this to a child, and also I don't really know what happened to the Hindenburg. <laughs> also, is this, is this too violent? Like, is I it know a blimp, the broad so It's a blimp, strokes. so is that fine? Like, <laughs> Well, she was interested in researching like various refugee stories, and she's a very, uh, very intelligent, uh, precocious mm-hmm. child. And I was like, it's, they didn't do blimps good. <laughs> Is basic. <laughs> Do you like Arthur? <laughs> he has a great episode on the Hindenburg. Yeah. <laughs> it's it is a weird like I, I mean I think people were were killed in that um, if I'm not mistaken I assume um, in some but uh, that it is it is a strange because that's where the, the like oh the humanity that's where that yes. like, like a, a radio call comes from right which is not what you would expect like. Do you, I, I remember he, yeah. like always like hearing that as like a almost like a joke like like people would throw it like use it in, right, right whatever and then it's about a a blimp crush yeah you say yeah uh, oh not where I would expect that 
famous line to come yeah, from, not, but you know, not the I mean, detonation in Nagasaki or something. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Well, anybody got We've anything? We got to else? a weird place here. I mean, last time we ended up reviewing books, so. <laughs> I, w- I won't go on a long rant about this, but th- having the Blu-ray for both this and Endgame, the special features are ridiculously better am, for Dark Phoenix, and I can't explain why. I am so happy that we put a time limit on this episode. <laughs> I, thought you were, I thought you were going to say, I don't know if I should go on a rant about this, but here's the perfect dimension of chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> Seven chips exactly. <laughs> No surprises. You're a seven chip guy? I'm an eight chip guy. <laughs> well, Alex is a seven chip boy over there. I will take whatever you can give me. I'm just happy to oh, eat, you know? Come on, count your blessings, guys. And your calories. <laughs> oh, you know? boy. Gotta be careful. <laughs> oh, <call it. laughs> Here comes the thighs. Oh, boy. Woo! <laughs> 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 well, guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Here Come the Sequels. Please uh, write in. Tell us what you think. Ask us questions. We'll we will get back to you on the air. But if they want to write into us or find us at all, Tyler, where can they do that? They can do that uh, by emailing here the sequels at gmail.com. You can also uh, tweet some tweets at us on uh, Twitter at HCT Sequels. Uh, you can find us through our blog at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. And you can also look us up on iTunes and give us a review. I'm not even going to tell you to get... We'll, we'll take four stars. We're okay with that. Yeah, really. You, you know, And the review can just be like movies and yeah. that's it that's yeah, fine it man. Like, you could just give a description of like it's three guys who talk about movies yeah. like, you that actually just... helps out a lot like iTunes reviews actually help out a lot with podcasts we would really appreciate that if you enjoy the show and recommend it to a friend or something just like at least three stars that's all I ask yeah, you know. Uh, yeah you know. one for each of us yes the three stars yeah if you're coming the sequels Thank you. Although, if you want to count Joseph, which I always do, four is better. That's true. Okay. Better give us four stars. Come on. Uh, other Alex has been on here once, so I mean, I think you got to do that. Is five. five. That is five. I think we're. I think we're stuck. I don't think we're ever going to stop talking here. We've we've gone <laughs> like okay. fifteen minutes over. We just can't. Like it just continues to. <laughs> well, we're, we're such good friends, you know. We just yeah. don't want to end. We just want to keep talking. Want to keep having fun. Because uh, as the audience knows, uh, we all disappear until the next recording. That's true. Uh, <laughs> and we don't to... communicate at all when we're not recording. We just withdraw into our pokeballs. <laughs> and, uh... I mean, essentially, that's how I feel sometimes. Just uh... a. <laughs> Until until Tim Cook throws us back out. You guys, I always I always fancied myself a macho, but truly I am a gloom. Well, that's all we have today. Yep. (laughs) Well, guys, until (laughs) next time, (laughs) when we review Spider-Man: Far From Home, I have been Britain. I've been Alex. I've been Tyler, and you're having a good night.